Let me pray as we jump in this morning. God, as we were talking in our adult ed class, as we think about the Lord's Prayer, our Father, and in the Aramaic, it's actually a very intimate term. It means Abba. It means Daddy. And that we actually can come to you and say, Daddy, that we are, we are your children. God, I pray for your blessing upon this message, that you would anoint me, that you would anoint these words. God, this is not a presentation. This is not a talk. These, th- this is you speaking to me and our congregation. And I pray for that. I pray that I would be entirely dependent upon you during this time. And God, that you would move in and through our community. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for what you have done in 2017. And we look to 2018 with optimism and hope and um, excited about joining you in your redemptive work in Maple Grove and Osteo and the surrounding areas. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? All right, so when you woke up on New Year's Day, what were your first thoughts? <laughs> what were your first thoughts? Well, my, my, my first thoughts, maybe not on New Year's Day, but when I, my first thoughts in the 2018 and what, what I want us as a church, our first thoughts of each morning is this. God loves me, my life matters, anything is possible. I want us as a church to have that in the forefront of our minds. God loves me, my life matters, anything is possible. Say that with me. God loves me, my life matters, anything is possible. I pray and hope that as a church and individually that those will be our first thoughts of the morning as we wake up. And I think that as each of us uh, believe that and think that, I think this church will grow into becoming... More and more a place where everyone is welcome. Where people who are far from God will actually find a home. And that each of us will find a place and a role to serve here. God loves me. My life matters. Anything is possible. Well, this morning I want to uh, preach on, I think, one of the, is one of the more exciting verses in the Bible. It's actually the last book of the Bible, Revelation. So if you have a Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. You can follow along in the teaching notes and also on the slides, or if you have a Bible app, you can follow along as well. And I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7 through 8. And this is a section that uh, is sort of uh, known, it's infamous, as the uh, seven letters to the churches. There's seven different churches that where Jesus speaks to them. That's why in your Bible, if you open it up, it's red letter, because Jesus is actually speaking to them. And uh, John, the disciple, is the last one living. All the other disciples had died. He, he actually, we believe, he, he, he lived to be in his 90s. And he's writing this, this letter, this revelation, on the island of Patmos, because he had been sent in exile from uh, Nero, the, the Caesar. And it had sent, instead of killing him, he put him in exile. He's on this island, and he's writing down what Jesus is speaking to him. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 8, the church that he's writing to is the church of Philadelphia. And Jesus says this, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. It's kind of a chiastic uh, literary device that he's doing right there. I know all things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet... You obeyed my word and didn't deny me. Now, your teaching notes, I just want to kind of give you some historical context of the, the, the city of Philadelphia. But before that, when it says that, that Jesus is speaking 
about the letter given to the angel in that uh in that context, and in, in the actual word used for that, didn't really mean angelic being. There's plenty of angels in the Bible. Christmas stories about an angel speaking to Mary, for example. But right here, it doesn't mean so much an angelic being. It actually means a pastor. So pastors are angels. Just remember that. Anyways, uh, but it actually means pastor. So it's the pastor of the church at Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is a very interesting city. It's a city that had actually suffered a major, major earthquake in AD 17, and Revelation was written uh, decades after that. And as a result, they would have aftershocks of these earthquakes, and people would actually move up into the hills away from the downtown area because that was like a major fault line or something. It's like living in certain sections of California. You got an earthquake and you get aftershocks, and those aftershocks would happen randomly every other year or so. So when, in verse 8, when uh, Jesus says yeah, that, that you are weak, actually what that means is that you, you live kind of in fear. And I think the natural disasters of the earthquake has something to do with that too. But Philadelphia was a very important city. And in fact, a very strong church. They were a faithful church. And even though that they had Jewish people that came there and said to Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, you're really not the people of God. You're really not a part of this kingdom of David that we, that they, uh, we know about the Old Testament. And that's why da- the, the, the keys of David is mentioned here on purpose. Because they were being persecuted by these Jewish people, and yet the church stood strong. It stood strong. And also, something to note about Philadelphia, too, is that it was a major city where two main roads ran through there. And one road went to the west, and one road went to the east. And the one road went all the way to Rome. It was sort of a nonstop uh, highway all the way to Rome. And as a result of that, Philadelphia was a very prosperous city. So just a few notes on this. Now, there's something absolutely fascinating that's going on here in verse 8, in the grammar. It says, I know all the things you do. I have opened a door for you that no one can close. And... In the grammar on that, I don't want to get too nerdy with grammar here. I like to. I love grammar, but I'm not going to do that. Um, in our English language, we mainly have three tenses of verbs. Okay? Past. All right. Seven of you know your verbs. Present and future. Okay? In the Greek, it's a little bit different. Uh, Greek, we have an aorist verb. That's past tense. But they have a certain kind of verb that we don't have, and it's called a perfect tense. A perfect tense is a verb that... Something that happened in the past. Okay? Evan sang and led worship. That was a historical past event. But with a perfect tense, perfect tense meant something that happened in the past, but carries on into the present and into the future. It's a very unique verb. First Corinthians chapter 15, for example, Paul is talking about the death and sacrifice and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. It's all, there's aorist verbs everywhere. But then he gets to the resurrection. He switches to a perfect tense verb. As if to say, Christ is alive now. The resurrection just wasn't true back then. It, he's alive right now. He's answering prayers for us today. He's guiding people now. He's giving power and forgiveness and love and grace to people right now. Can I get an amen? Yeah. And for us to realize that, and for us to, to realize that, okay, the door was open to Philadelphia, but doors are open for us as well. 
doors are open for the Gazette family. And what kind of opportunities? And we say doors open, we're talking about opportunities that God gives us. Doors are open for Lucinda and her life and her family. Doors are open for Scott Grand and his family. Doors are open for the Folds family. And the question for us, um, some of you are like ducking right now. You're like, I don't know people hope he doesn't call on me. But the question is, are we going to walk through those doors in 2018? That's what this sermon is about. Will you walk through those open doors? And I think a question that comes in, in my mind at least is, why, why should we? Why should we walk through these open doors? Because it's not always easy, right? I want to give you three reasons this morning. Number one, we walk through those open doors because what God does is that he gives us opportunities to do what we're designed to do. God doesn't open doors for you to walk through if it does not connect and align to who you are. For example, when I graduated from the University of Minnesota, I was set on going to law school. I thought I'd be a lawyer. Not, not a litigator, because I was never comfortable in front of groups of people. I was very shy, I was very introverted, and I had a hard time speaking in front of people. And I thought I'd be more like a research lawyer in, 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 in that regard. But then during my senior year, God began to make it abundantly clear that he was opening a door for me to actually be a pastor. And like the Church of Philadelphia, I felt weak. I was afraid. I didn't want to walk through that door. And more and more he made it clear to me that that's what he wanted me to do. And I didn't know at that time. I didn't feel designed to do something. like I didn't feel like that. I was wired for something like that and to be a preaching pastor. And again, I was like, that's not for me. But more and more God made it clear through a number of ways. And he does that, doesn't he? Whether it's our conscience or whether it's through a gut feeling, or perhaps we sense God saying something to us. Maybe for some of you, God has spoken to you audibly. That hasn't happened to me. But I sensed God was really moving, and then I had it affirmed by some friends, and circumstances were lining up that this is something that God wanted me to do. But something I was absolutely afraid, and a verse, a passage I kept saying to myself over and over is in Joshua chapter 1, 6 through 7, and in verse 9. It goes like this, be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. This is my command, be strong and courageous. It's like God repeating himself, do not be afraid or discouraged. And that helped me a lot, because there's over 360 different verses in the Bible about not being afraid. This is one of them right here. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So I can't tell you how many times I've said that over and over to myself as this door seemed to be opening for me to actually become a pastor. And as I began to preach, I would say that verse over and over because I would get physically sick. I mean, there was times like before the service, I'd be in the bathroom. Uh, I won't get gross here, but, you know, it was my breakfast would come back up. Because I was terrified. And you might think, you're watching me right now thinking there is no way. 25 years ago, that was the case. When I preached, I would actually shake. I was so nervous and so afraid. But yet, somewhere in the midst of this sort of disequilibrium, however you say that word, word, discontent, that I felt God, though, was doing something in my life that I was designed for. Even though it didn't seem like it, that God was opening a door and it seemed like I was designed for it, even though 
it didn't fit right away. So I remained faithful, just like the church in Philadelphia, and kept preaching and preaching. And then fast forward. And the more I did it, the more I enjoyed it. And the more um, I felt God doing something. It reminds me of actually a a quote from Winston Churchill. Brian, Sam, and I went and see The Darkest Hour last week. By the way, you got to see that film. But Winston Churchill in World War II when uh, England was under the hardest... 28 days in its history. And the final, final scene in The Darkest Hour is where Churchill says this. Success is never final. Failure is never fatal. It's the courage to continue that counts. And that was something true for me. It was to keep, be, keep being courageous. Just like the church in Philadelphia. And that might be you this morning. For you to be courageous. To keep walking through that door that you know God has opened to you. But it's hard. You're scared. You're afraid. It's tough. It's not always easy. Fast forward to a few years ago, and when this church was going through a transition where our senior pastor uh, transitioned out, and I stepped in 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 as the interim because um, I had been a senior pastor before. But when I came to Maple Grove Covenant six years ago, uh, I had this sort of like five-year plan where I actually was going to decrease my hours as a pastor. You guys don't know this, but... But I felt God was opening a door at Bethel University for me to teach full-time. I was getting more and more and more classes. I loved it. And I just thought, well, this is going to be, this is going to be a nice gig at Bethel. You know, I'm going to teach classes. I'm going to hang out with students, drink good coffee, uh, do lectures, the same lectures every time. That's what professors do. Do it for a long time. And this kind of coast to retirement. But God, during that time when I was in the interim... Um, and I loved, I just forgot how much I loved preaching, um, was saying to me, no, that, that, that's, that's not the open door for you. The door that's being opened for you is to be a senior pastor. And I remember distinctly preaching on the parable of the talents. It was about midway through the, the interim, uh, interim, interim period I was, I was the uh, senior pastor, and I was preaching through the parable of talents, and I and which often happens for senior pastors is that as I was preaching that sermon, God was preaching that sermon to me. And I had this very palpable sense that God was saying, I have given you gifts. I have given you gifts that you have worked hard to develop and you are meant and designed to be a senior pastor. And you will give an account for that. And I, I just kind of sense God saying, okay, the whole Bethel gig thing, that's great. I'll let you do that for fun and and off the side, but that's not your main role. That's not what I wired you for as a vocation. And during that time I was wrestling with this, I had a flashback, and a number of you have heard my my story about my grandpa, my grandma, my mom's side, good Swedes, Swedish Baptists, and they had big influence on my faith formation, particularly my grandmother. When I was growing up, uh, she taught Sunday school in a small um, Baptist church in Jackson, Minnesota. And when I grew up, she would tell me the stories of Daniel in the lion's den, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego without using the Bible. She would just tell me these stories. So these stories were integrated in my life at a very young age. Anyways, my grandmother was dying in a nursing home in Stillwater. And at that time, I was a church planter and a lead pastor for a church plant in St. Louis Park. And I was sitting on the edge of the bed with my grandmother, and she was kind of going in and out. My aunts were there. She didn't recognize them. 
And I thought she, when she was there, her eyes were closed. She was breathing, but I thought she was unconscious. And I said, Grandma, I didn't think any of it was going to happen. I just said, Grandma, I'm, I'm here. This is Craig, your grandson. And then all of a sudden, her eyes opened, and she said, Craig, preach the word, 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 preach for two minutes straight. Preach the word, preach the word. I wouldn't have been surprised had an angel walked through the room. I mean, it was a sacred moment. And then after two minutes of doing that, just close her eyes. And she died the next day. So if that's not God saying something to me, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What else. He couldn't be more clear. But that, I had that memory and it came to me when I was really considering putting my name in as being the lead pastor of this church. And you know what? I absolutely love what I do. I love being up here. And, you know, if you look at the statistics of, of uh, worker satisfaction, it's not very good. Actually, America, it's the highest. It's at 30%. 30% of people in America like their jobs. You go to China, it's 6%. You go to the Middle East and North Africa, it's 15%. I'm fortunate I'm among the 30%, honestly, that I get to do what I do. I would do it for free. Now, we're going to take that part out of the audio after, the, after today's service because the board will use that during my uh, annual review and compensation. Okay? Anyways... But you know what I mean? Some of you have that. It's like, I mean, yeah, you got to be paid. You got to pay your bills and stuff. But I would do it for free. I absolutely love preaching and being a lead pastor. So God calls us and brings us through open doors because for some of us, it's what we're designed to do. Another reason that God opens doors for us is because he's inviting us to walk through it. God is inviting us to walk through it. Again, it could be your conscience, it could be a circumstance, it could be like a holy discontent. There's something in, in your gut, there's something wrong, and yet you want to do something about it. And that's another way that God actually invites us and brings us through open doors, is actually discontent. And sometimes it's where God makes it so clear, and it's so straightforward, and for some of us, it's so peaceful. It's, it's kind of the opposite of the first one. I was talking to Sharice Mormon. Sharice has been coming to this church for a number of years, and uh, she was living in Iowa. Her family and kids and grandkids are all in Iowa. But with a, a job transition that she had in her life, um, she saw an open door to Minnesota. And that was a big move for her because she didn't know anybody in Minnesota. And as we know from Field of Dreams, Iowa is heaven, right? <laughs> so she was leaving heaven. <laughs> but... Uh, she felt God was opening that door. And she came here and trusting him. And she, I was talking to her on the phone this past week. I wanted permission to share her story. But she, she said, God made it so clear, and I knew he was in it. The door was open. And it actually was such a peaceful transition for me, even though I had to leave my kids and grandkids and such. But, but it was peaceful. I just felt I had this tranquility of taking that step. But she said, I had a concern that I would not have the community of friends that I had in my church in Iowa. She wasn't sure if she'd ever be able to find that or if that would be replicated in her life. And yet, she came to this church, joined a community group right away, and she told me that she has the same kind of community. 
that group means so much in her life, so much so that last year when she was diagnosed with breast cancer and had to go through chemo and radiation, that group came alongside of her, loved on her, supported her, and Sharice told me it meant so much for her to have that. And had she not walked through that open door, just imagine that, and she walked through it with courage and found this community of friends. And some of you are here this morning, and I'm not saying, hey, you gotta, you got to set up for a community group, but whatever you do, get involved in this church. Connect with people. You're not meant to do life alone. And when you walk through doors or, that are opened by God, it is so paramount to have a community around you, to have people around you. Our lives are not meant to be living, to be living on our alone, uh, alone and, and on our own. And Charisse is this remarkable person I saw on Christmas Eve, and she has a clean bill of health. The cancer is gone, and, and she was beaming and had this, this radiance on her face and so happy of being healed. Just a remarkable story. And we have a, a number of people, too, that have gone through cancer and, and have come through just healed and what God is doing. The next reason that we walk through doors that are opened by God is because you will make a difference. You will make a difference. Because deep inside of us, even, even if we're not really aware or conscious of it, deep down, we want to make a difference. We don't want to be just simply another person on the face of the earth. We want our lives to matter. We want to make a difference among friends or family. We want to make a dent in the spheres of influences we find ourselves None of us want to go through life just kind of on autopilot and, and not really make it. We want to make a difference. And when those doors are opened by God, we can make a difference. We see that in John chapter 4. If you have a Bible, turn to that. It's a great story about Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. In John chapter 4, verses 7 through 8, I'm going to kind of pick a few different verses. It's a long passage, but John chapter 4, verse 7. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Now, this is a rare uh, occurrence because, first of all, a, a woman would not be alone with a man talking to them. Also, it's a Samaritan talking to a Jewish person. Just, that didn't happen. And it's in the middle of the day, which tells us we can we can speculate with confidence that she has a history, she has a story, she has to go get water in the middle of the day because the regular times in the early mornings, she's not going there because she probably has some kind of reputation. So she's, she's going at the worst part of the day, and yet she meets Jesus. And then Jesus, in verse 13, says this, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. He's opening a door for her. What does she do? Does she walk away? I'm not into into this religion stuff. No, she doesn't. Look how she responds in verse 15. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, exclamation point. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get, get water. Just then, the disciples came back, verse 27. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? It's the rare occurrences where the disciple actually had some wisdom. You don't see it very often. It's like one of the, first, one of the rare times they actually did the right thing. 
The woman left her wire jar uh, beside the well, which actually is a metaphor for she's leaving that life behind, and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So people from her village came streaming in, and they heard Jesus. She made a difference by walking through a door that was open to her. But maybe the door opened for you. It could be sharing about Jesus like she did. It could be a vocational calling. It could be moving from a different state and, and following God. But I think the doors that are open for us are everyday opportunities. Everyday opportunities. And that's the question I want to ask you. Will you walk through doors that are opened in kind of the everyday mundane sort of things that we have? So a few days after Christmas... Um, I was in the drive-through, or going through the drive-through at the Starbucks in Dunkirk. If you've ever been over there, that drive-through is tight, and you, what you have to do because it, it was packed. I, I was behind an SUV, and we had to wait by rapid oil change because, as you know, you can't. If you go across, and if you block that road by the strip mall, people tend to get very angry if they're, if they're driving to and fro. And I was behind this SUV, and I noticed this elderly man was driving his car from, from uh, uh, Leon Chin's, and he was making his way to the Starbucks, and, and, and he got up to the drive-thru, but there was no room, because the SUV and I were just kind of waiting for room to get up there, but he, he blocked traffic. And pretty soon, cars on the other side just started honking at him. And then, you know, he, he looks around, and he, he's wait, wait, shaking his fist. You could tell he's got this really mean countenance, and he's angry, and then he's got to go in reverse, and then he, and then he proceeds. And by that time, there was enough room for the SUV then to pull up, and I was the next in line. Well, the elderly man did, did a loop, and he came back from the same direction. And he stopped his car, and he's looking at me. And he starts pointing at me like this. And he goes, you know, get your car over there. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? There's no room. He just kept jabbing his finger. And then finally, there was just enough room for my car. You know, I have a Ford Focus, so there's just enough, enough room for my small car. I got up there and, and got in line and then um, placed my order. And then I look in the rearview mirror, and I want this man just to know how frustrated I was with him. So I'm like just shaking my head as, as like big shakes of the head, you know. Like, you did something wrong, buddy. Okay. And then a voice in my head, it's, Craig, Christmas Eve was just a few days ago. What are you doing? I'm like, oh, I don't want to hear that right now. I want revenge. He pointed his finger at me. I'm not alone. Some of you do that, okay? Uh, Anyways, then I was just thinking. There's this kind of sense, like an open door. Kill, kill that anger, that frustration that he has with kindness. Kindness kills anger. Love kills anger. Small thing, small thing, and that it just hurt the sense, pay for his, pay for his order. Because I noticed it was grandpa and his granddaughter. And then I, but I was like, well, what, what if she like ordered like two really of those fruit, you know, fluey drinks, you know, and, you know, like, like the bill's going to be $20. I don't want to pay for that. And I was like, I, I'm, I'm, this is verbatim. I'm serious. I'm not, I'm not embellishing. And then I have, I'm like, okay, open door. I'm going to walk through it. I'm just going to pay for it. 
so then I got up there and I said, I'm going to pay for the, first, the car behind me. And I did. And then um, I pulled up and just kind of waited. And then the uh, grandpa and granddaughter pulled up. And then I got in my car, made a couple of snowballs, and threw it at his windshield. No, I didn't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I didn't. But I, just, I left. And there was a sense, like, that is God for you to care so much about that and open a new door when we have those everyday opportunities like that, don't we? Yeah, everyday opportunities where a door is opened and will you and I walk through them for the glory of God? Let me pray. Father God, we give thanks for this morning and we give thanks that you're a God who is so involved in this world, so involved that you notice something like a Starbucks drive through that you are so present in this world and that you're opening doors for us in a variety of ways and God help us to walk through them. Sometimes it might be, we may have fear. Other times it might be tranquility. But for us to take those steps. And as we do, God, we depend upon you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.